Well, it is uh, good to be back here this morning. Uh, I was preaching in St. Albans two Sundays ago, and then last Sunday I was on vacation. I was out of town. Uh, But you guys are in for a real treat today uh, because I'm not preaching here again. So you don't have to put up with me three Sundays in a row. How about that? Now, you're really in for a treat because uh, today we have a, a guest speaker from Kentucky Christian University. He's the president of Kentucky Christian University. Dr. Dr. Terry Alcorn and his wife, Jackie, are here today, and they're going to be sharing with us. Uh, we at Gateway have had a long partnership with Kentucky Christian University uh, over the years. We, we support them as a mission. Uh, they are a you know, we, we want to send people there because they are a sending university. They train people in ministry and a lot of other fields, but to be in ministry, even in the field that they're in, whether it's full-time ministry or nursing or business or, or teaching or whatever, we've had a lot of people from Gateway go to Kentucky Christian over the years, and we are honored to have Dr. Alcorn here today. You can come on up. He's serving as the sixth president at the university in their 101-year history, and he just started about 11 months ago. So what a crazy time to (laughs) start as president of a university, and then we have this global pandemic hit. So be praying for his leadership as he leads the school uh, in this time and in in future uh, events that come up that, that will test his leadership. So will you please give a warm gateway welcome to Dr. Terry Alcorn. Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, people uh, ask me quite a bit, so what's it like? And I uh, typically just let them know that I'm never, ever, never, ever bored. Uh, I want to get into uh, speaking about David and Goliath a little bit. It's, a, to me, a, a pertinent uh, event uh, in Scripture to talk about. But before I do it, I just wanted to uh, speak briefly about the great relationship uh, that Gateway has with uh, KCU, and I'm, I'm, I'm just very grateful for it. You know, uh, I'm from uh, northeastern Ohio and uh, went to actually a, a, a very, a very a wonderful church uh, in a rural community outside of Sebring, Ohio. And those, uh, those elders uh, had me involved in ministry when I was in high school, uh, calling and teaching, and they'd even let me uh, preach on occasion. When we get finished, you may say they should have had me preach a few more times, but uh, at any rate, uh, they were very kind, and my mom said I did a really good job, so it seemed like I was doing okay. Uh, and then uh, when it came time to um, pick a school, I was feeling called to ministry. Uh, I, I had applied, been accepted, and was all ready to go to uh, then KCC long before I ever met a recruiter, because my home church saw it as their role to, to lead men and women to, to um, go into ministry. And uh, then I was almost, it was almost time for school to start, and I went to camp, and I met a recruiter. I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, but uh, my church had done all of that uh, and had me all set. But that's your story, too. Uh, you have encouraged many to go into ministry, and i just like to continue to ask you to do that. Uh, I'm concerned about a new generation of leaders. We need to be training them and sending them out. And that only happens when, when you send them to us. And I'm just grateful for that relationship that we have. Well, let's take a look at uh, David and Goliath, a fascinating uh, event 
there in First um, Samuel uh, 17. Uh, that same old enemy, uh, that same old challenge. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. Uh, how many times have you've read through the Old Testament, particularly in First and Second Samuel, is somebody fighting the Philistines? Those Philistines just kept coming back again and again. And it may seem like in your life, you're fighting the same old battles also. Boy, how many people thought six, eight months ago we'd be wearing a mask to church and we'd be fighting a, an enemy we can barely see and only can imagine what it's like. Uh, and yet the fact is, is that we will, we will fight these enemies whether we can see them or not see them Sometimes over and over, and David here and his actions and his activities gives us some insights into how we can be perhaps effective at that. You know, 1 Samuel here, 1 Samuel 17, records a typical battle. Uh, there's, there's two battle lines. There's a valley in the middle. And uh, the terms of warfare were fairly standard at that point. And, and there were... You know what this is like, don't you, ladies? The, the guys were saber-rattling. They were, they were trash-talking. There was a lot of talk going on. And every once in a while, uh, a, um, one of the better fighters from the Philistine army would step out, and, and he, would, he would hurl some challenges and some threats, and, and then he would go back, and they would wait for a while longer and do it again. I used to think that the... You know, the Israelite army, they would have been the sophisticated cultured ones. And the Philistines, don't they sound like an uncultured group? The Philistines. They don't sound like they're very organized or anything. And yet, um, it seems to me from a little bit of reading that the Philistine army was actually a, a fairly well-equipped, fairly well-trained professional army. And across that valley was a group of farmers and shepherds who had brought their farming implements and their shepherding, sheep, shepherding instruments with them. And they were going to fight with those. Now, that's not a terribly uncommon idea. You see lots of cultures throughout history that have used farming implements for battle and battle implements for farming. You know, we, we only have so much steel to go around at that point. And so that's not terribly uncommon, but they're facing another army that is incredibly well equipped and has armor and shield bearers. And wow. And so this, this Israelite army, this group of farmers and shepherds is standing across and receiving taunts twice daily. Not just from Goliath, I'm sure. I'm sure other people had things to say that probably weren't very kind. And there they are yelling at them. David enters this situation not as a warrior, not as a national hero, but as an errand runner. He's carrying food to his brothers, and of course his dad, Jesse, wants to know news of the battle. And so David shows up carrying food. It wouldn't have been good supply lines likely, and so each family would have felt some responsibility to send something uh, to kind of, you know, keep their family members together. And so David carries this food, and then <clears throat> Jesse's hoping, and then there'll be some news when he comes back. And of course, he wants to know how his other sons are doing and so forth. And David shows up just in time to hear one of these taunts. 
And David is greatly bothered by this taunt. And I'm bothered by this taunt. Because not only is Goliath mocking the Israelites, but he's mocking the God of the Israelites. And it's really fascinating to me. This is going on for many days. And yet no one has stepped forward of these warriors. No one has stepped forward. And everybody's looking to somebody else to solve the problem. Ever been in a scenario like that? It's a That's an exercise in madness. And David shows up and he says, what is happening here? And in spite of the discouragement of his brothers, in spite of the chuckles of those around him, David presents himself as the one who will fight Goliath. Because David's not going to stand for God being mocked in such a way. Well, in spite of all those, he's presented to Saul as a possible champion. And we're going to pick up here in 1 Samuel 17. We'll start with verse 32. And it's a little bit long. I'll I'll acknowledge that. So in order to help things move along, I will occasionally wave my arm as a dramatic gesture at given points. And then it'll make it go faster, I think. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from that flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. Just got a picture of this happening, please. Seized it by its hair. Struck it and rescued the sheep. I'm sorry, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And in one of the strangest couple of verses in Scripture, comical almost and Saul dressed David in his own tunic put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them walking not fighting walking that's not in there in case you were sorry I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, 
the Philistine had so much stuff, he had to have somebody help him carry it. That also was not in there, and then it made me lose my place. So, uh, kept coming closer to David. Then he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beast of the earth. And the whole world will know, what, that David's a great warrior? That those farmers are really amazing? No. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All of those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. And the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And in a fascinating detail, the Bible says the stone, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over to him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard, and killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. Wow, what a story. What a story. We... Um, Jackie and I, of course, read that story to our kids when they were growing up, although the books all seemed to end with the stone thing and didn't, didn't go with the whole cutting off the head part, probably better, I guess. But uh, just a fascinating story there that is not something that should be relegated to children's books only because, friends, while they may be talking about that out there, don't, don't, aren't you always jealous of the 6th through 12th graders? They get to go somewhere else. Like, save yourselves, go. Yeah. But uh, they may be talking about that. But this is for us. This is for us. Hey, a lot of people tried to discourage David uh, from, from doing the Lord's calling there, didn't they? Right? Uh, family members and Saul's like, you're only a boy. And I bet there were other people along the way too. Who's this kid who came carrying bread now? Is he going to go out and fight this giant? Come on. You may have somebody in your life that's feeling a little bit discouraged or people are, are not encouraging. And so at some point during the service, if you feel like sending them an encouraging text and telling them that the Lord is with them, go ahead and do that. Let's talk about David a little bit here. We've got uh, a couple things I just want to mention. First of all, I think it is fascinating to me that David understood that God, God was his strength. We don't need to read it again, but verses 34 through 37 Talk about how God is going to win this victory. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know it's not by what? Sword or spear. The Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. 
Well, those early faith lessons that David learned. And who would have thought? Who would have thought that fighting a bear or a lion was a faith lesson, right? Those early faith lessons that David learned. What if David would have said, eh, it's only one sheep, and honestly, I didn't like that sheep anyway. So who's counting? Right? Bears have to eat. No, David said, this is my responsibility. And no matter what the cost to me personally, I'm going to go get that sheep back. And amazingly, amazingly, the bear was displeased at this activity. And so David grabs it by the hair. Now, I used to think, you know, David just kind of gave it one of those right up under the jaw there. But actually, more than likely, he probably used that shepherd stick that Goliath refers to. He says, you come at me with sticks. This was, this was, a, this was a formidable stick. My wife and I enjoy taking walks once in a while, or actually about every day. And um, sometimes um, <clears throat> she has a walking stick that she has. Stick is not an appropriate description of this thing. <laughs> Ten men would be foolish to mess with my wife and her walking stick. This is a big stick. Kind of important to her because um, one of our kids hand-carved it. and Yeah, it's, it's a really... It's a cool thing, uh, but it's also quite formidable. It has a knob on top, a whole bit. Much like that stick, although probably slightly shorter, the shepherd's stick had a, usually had a knob uh, and was, uh, I don't know, not quite as long as a walking stick, but formidable, either in the hand or thrown. And so David grabs this lion and then gives him a little tap on the old noggin there. That's that. What if David would have said, ah, it's just one line, it's just, it's just one sheep, I, just, I don't, I just fought that bear. <sighs> no. David said, no, this is my responsibility, I'm going to go fight this lion, and I'm going to get that sheep back. I bet the sheep was grateful, by the way, right? There's a sheep going, I thought it was kind of over, but then here comes this guy, sandals, bag, dents over, Amazing. Those early faith lessons, those early faith lessons prepared David for this battle. He would have learned in those encounters that God is his strength. Friends, as a disclaimer, I do not recommend you go fight a bear with a stick. But God was David's strength there. And David remembered this as he's going to talk to the Philistine. How can, or going to talk to Saul. How can you beat this Philistine? I beat a bear. Are you sure? I beat a lion. Because God was my strength. The fact is, I think, if, if David had not fought those battles, as big as they were then, they're kind of small compared to Goliath, right? But if David had not fought those battles, he would not have been ready to fight this battle. Friends, be responsible where you are now because these are preparations for later. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The biggest faith lesson 
that David learned here is the biggest faith lesson we need to learn today. It is God who is our strength. It is God who is our sustainer. David repeats that multiple times in this whole encounter. Why? Because it is the key fact of the, of the victory here. This isn't David because he's an amazing slingshot guy. This isn't David because he's quicker than Goliath. This is David because he saw God as his strength. You know, for 40 days, Goliath is presenting his intimidation tactics. Twice a day, like clockwork. Oh, it's time to go out and yell at the Israelites. I'll be right back. And yet David understood that he could defeat this giant, not on his own strength, not by his, not by his own skill, but because God had been with him in the past and would be with him then. Being aware that God is our strength should influence us at our strongest and at our weakest. Being aware that God is our strength is the great insulator from the blight of arrogance when we're at our strongest and the great protector from the crushing burden of insecurity when we're at our weakest. Understanding that God is our strength is a truth that the young should hang on to as, as tightly as the seasoned. God is our strength. I'm also impressed with David here. If you look at verses, oh, 38 through 40 or so, David shows up prepared for this battle, and he doesn't even know he's going into battle. You thought about what he shows up with? You know, he's all dressed in that tunic and stuff, and he's supposed to wear that armor. By the way, that armor, that would have been stolen armor. Israelites didn't have the ability to make armor. So they would have had this stolen armor that would have obviously been presented to the king. And then the king tries to present it to David to wear. It wouldn't have fit the king properly. It certainly wouldn't have fit David properly. David's correct when he says, I can't go out and fight in these. But David says, but it's okay. Because I showed up prepared for this event. He showed up with his shepherd's tools. Now I'm fascinated by that. There are no sheep there. Why does David have his shepherd's tools? You know, he had his shepherd's staff, and he had his shepherd's slingshot, and he had a shepherd's bag, and he probably had shepherd's pie. He had all the shepherd's things that he needed. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Uh, I won't be here all week, but I, I'm grateful for it. Uh, but he had, he, had, he had all those shepherd's things with him. But there are no sheep. Why is that? When he walked out the door, did Jesse say, hey, and by the way, you're about to enter into the defining moment of your life, so be sure you take everything with you. I'd kind of like that once in a while if I could get some kind of warning. Hey, you got a defining moment coming up. You probably want to show up prepared. This doesn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, most of our defining moments, isn't it true, occur with next to no warning whatsoever. You're just there. David just thinks he's carrying bread and going to go home and tell Jesse that, well, they're still there. 
And he finds himself standing in the middle of this defining moment. And he showed up prepared. You know, we don't have any idea what defining a moment awaits us. Tomorrow, today, we don't know. You know, we'll have opportunities to be honest. We'll have opportunities to stand up for biblical beliefs. And we'll have opportunities, oh, we won't, ha- won't we have opportunities to show grace to others. You know, we need to show up prepared and ready to do so. I have to wonder for a moment. Would... would Would David have been as prepared if he had avoided all those other experiences? Would he have been able to say to Goliath, hey, um, I thought about going after a sheep that was being stolen by a lion, and so I think I can fight Goliath. Or I was really angry when that lion took one of my sheep. Woo, you should have seen how angry I was. Stomped my feet. That's no preparation for dealing with Goliath. But the fact that he, the fact that he went after those challenges, the fact that he took responsibility for what was his responsibility, prepares him for that encounter. You know, he shows up on the battlefield and Goliath is saying, what are you coming after him with sticks? Yeah, he's coming after him with the tools that he would have known, that shepherd's stick, that formidable weapon. But he used the tools that he had. Oh, but there, were, there was that one item he didn't bring with him. Do you recall what that was? He went down to the stream and he picked out those Five smooth stones. Have you ever been curious why he picked five? Um, didn't have a revolver, right? So that, that's out. So why, why, why did he pick five? Well, well, maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's, let's move on to David running towards the enemy, too. Look at verses 48 through 50. In an age of avoidance, in an age of ignoring it and hoping it'll go away, we can take a real lesson from David here. I'm really bothered by a lot of what happens in this episode here, in in this historical occurrence, because where was Saul? Who was the biggest, tallest person in Israel during the day? It was Saul. If the biggest person from the Philistines wants to fight somebody, who do you think should be fighting him? And let me ask you a couple other questions we don't have good answers to. I think I have an answer to this one. Could, Could God have helped Saul win the battle? just as well as he could have helped David win the battle? Is God only going to help David? Where was Saul? This drives me nuts. 
Saul's in his tent doing paperwork when he should be out encouraging his troops and standing up to this one who was challenging everybody. The issue here is that David runs towards the battle. And in our culture of avoidance, we've got to do the same thing. You know, 1 Samuel 9 talks about how big Saul is and how impressive Saul is. So get out there, Saul! Anybody can lead during easy times. I've got that. Everything's working great. I'm in charge. It's during the difficult times that we as leaders have got to step up and lead. It's in the name. Leader, right? Few things frustrate me more than when we as leaders don't provide the tone for the whole group. We didn't read this verse, so it's not fair to bring it up, but I guess I'm allowed to do that a little bit. If you look in 1 Samuel 17, there's a fascinating little verse there, um, about verse 11. It says, Saul was terrified. No kidding. But what was the effect that Saul being terrified had on the rest of his army? They were terrified The Bible says, and all of Israel with him. Terrific. Thanks for blazing that trail, Saul. We're all terrified. Now, I won't tell you that I'm not regularly terrified in a leadership role, whatever role it's been. Of course. But it doesn't mean we can simply go hide in our tents and not provide leadership. Leaders, when the, when the battle's raging, we've, we've got to be there. There was a whole group of people, a whole army, that stood and heard the taunts of Goliath for 40 days, and they're all looking at each other. No, 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 no. Got that bad knee? Like to. Whew, hurt my shoulder the other day. No, no, we're not, no, we're not going. And yet David is willing to run towards the battle. Well, David does indeed run towards the battle, and he does indeed know that God is his strength, and he kills Goliath that day, and amazingly, the Philistine army is overrun. Now, I just want to pause and say something here that is perhaps occasionally overlooked. I won't pretend to be the most insightful guy in the room, but I'm certainly not the brightest crayon in the box, but here's my thought. The Philistines still had the better equipment. The Philistines still had the better training. The Philistines still had the stronger army. Why are they now routed by the farmers and shepherds? Because the farmers and shepherds had a leader that believed. 
and a leader that ran towards the battle. And they all looked at each other and said, well, if the kid bringing the food can do it, we probably ought to go ahead and give it a whirl too. That's really what good leadership does. So David fights that battle that day and, and uh, ends in a great victory. And, and then, and then uh, if, um, wouldn't we like to say, and then, and then David had a Walt Disney ending. Never had another challenge, rode around in a carriage, and yet you know that David had many other challenges in his life. And there were, there were days when he failed as a leader, right? failed as a as an individual but there were lots of other challenges in david's life including lots of other battles with the philistines why towards the end of his life david is exhausted from a battle and and a philistine almost kills him and somebody intervenes and saves his life and then they say you're done buddy you're not going out there anymore for lots of other battles and lots of other challenges as a matter of fact I've been wondering about these five stones. Now, if you do any reading on these five stones, lots of people have lots of theories. So you don't have to pick mine. But I will confess to you that my theory is my favorite. In 2 Samuel 21... The Bible talks about Goliath and likely the four brothers of Goliath. Now, I grew up an only child and my wife grew up an only child. <clears throat> but we have four kids. And um, if you had siblings or if uh, you had children, uh, multiple children, you know that um, we could talk about and share multiple stories of somebody messing with one and finding that there were others, um, which I always wanted in my house, by the way. I, um, I always broke it because I usually did, and there wasn't anybody coming to the rescue from the back there, you know. But uh, I believe Goliath had four brothers, and so not only does David understand the fight he's taking on, the one he can see, but he may have picked up five stones because he thought he was going to fight four other brothers. Now whether that's accurate or not, okay. But the fact is, is that David had one shot at this in my view. Like he isn't going to get five tries. Now how do I know this, you might ask? Well, <clears throat> I'm actually a bit of a slingshot expert. And I realize I'm the only thing standing between you and lunch, so I'll make this a very short story. So my parents felt it was their responsibility to feed all the wild animals because obviously these wild animals would not be able to fend for themselves without store-bought food. A theory that the person selling us the food perpetuated continually. So my parents had multiple bird feeders. If you have an image in your mind of how many bird feeders they had, hold on to that number, double it, and you'll be approaching about where they're at. Well, <clears throat> my parents were fine with the birds ate. My parents were fine if the squirrels ate. 
But for some reason, if a rat got up on the feeder, this was unacceptable. I'm not sure what rats did, but they not only have a bad reputation, but they were not allowed to eat at the buffet of my parents. So there's a rat up on the bird feeder. It's, I don't know, 50, 60 feet from the front porch. And my mom says, there's a rat on the bird feeder. I said, I will shoot this rat with my slingshot. She says, you cannot hit that rat with a slingshot. I said, oh, yes, I can. I need to tell you something about these bird feeders. I do not know who designed these bird feeders. It was ridiculous because they put glass sides on the bird feeders. You know, they're made out of glass. So um, I step out on that front porch, and this rat looks at me. I'm telling you, this rat looked at me. And I read his mind. Here's what this rat thought. This rat thought, there's no way this kid is going to hit me with this slingshot, and there's glass sides on the bird feeder. Well, I had special, uh, my dad was a millwright, and he brought home ball bearings, and I would only use them for special targets. I figured this rat was a special target. So I get a ball bearing out, I put it into my slingshot, and I know that the last thoughts of this rat were, there's nothing this guy can do because I killed that rat from 60 feet away with one shot, and did not break the glass on the side of the bird feeder. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Yeah, that. So um, the... Um, the lesson there from my mom was not to doubt, you know, anything I ever said before, which was a terrible thing, but at any rate, that's how that was. But the real lesson here for us is that you've got one shot. If I'd have, you know, if I'd have hit that bird feeder and broken that glass, the rat would have been like, oh, I think I'm going to leave now. And the rat would have run away. If David would have missed on that first shot, he didn't have four more. Goliath would have said to the shield bearer, Hey, I pay you for a reason, big guy. Let's go ahead and get the shield up a little bit. And it would have been a, probably an entirely different battle. Well, so David has this one shot, but he thinks he's probably fighting four others too. I tell you that story, and I, and I close with this, because I, it's important to me that we look carefully at this person because if you just look at this battle and you don't see it in the context of his life, you think, why is my life so problem-filled? I had a great victory. The rest should be great, just like King David. But the fact is that David had lots of other challenges, including the same family, the same old challenge. And I suspect Goliath's brothers were sort of angry about the whole thing. So I'm going to leave you with this plea. I'd ask you to not exhaust yourself looking for a life that is problem-free. Oh, we like those seasons, don't we, when there's not a lot of problems? I'd like one of those, wouldn't you? But the fact is, is that we're going to exhaust ourselves looking for a problem-free life. Sometimes the problems are other people's fault, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I cause the problems. But the fact is, is that the problems are going to be there. And for those of you who have chosen to lead, looking for a problem-free leadership career, <laughs> 
So I'd only ask you to do this. Look at what David does here. He doesn't seek a life that's challenge or problem-free. He seeks a life that is filled with the presence of God. And so as you confront these challenges, you confront them filled with the presence of God. That is, in my view, biblical peace. It isn't the absence of problems that produce biblical peace. It's the presence of God that produces biblical peace. And I'll tell you that those words are as, as important for your speaker to hear today as they are for you to hear today. As it is the presence of God that gives us peace, not the absence of problems. Let me pray for you. Well, Father, if we wanted to list our problems, we could, we could spend some time doing that. But you know those, and you know us, and you know our name. Father, I pray that as, as we seek to serve you, as we seek to have your presence in our life, the strength of Yahweh flowing through us, that we would depend on you, and you would give us victory, even over things like a virus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for sharing this morning. And we want to give you an opportunity, like every week, to be able to respond to the message today. And so if you have a response to make, if you have a step that you need to take towards Jesus, following him, if you want the assurance of his presence, uh, we, we would love to be able to talk to you. I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song, and I'll, I'll wear a mask, and would love to talk with you, would love to pray with you. If you want, you can talk after the service or any time during the week as well, if you'd feel more comfortable with that. But we want to give you this opportunity, especially if for a first-time decision to follow Jesus, placing your hope and your trust in him and following through with baptism. Or maybe you just need some prayer today as you face the challenges that are before you each and every day. Maybe you just need someone to pray over you. So we'd love the opportunity to do that. So if you would, would you stand and sing with us? And again, I'll be up here to your right as we sing.